Kizzy's Friday Game Changers, taking your business to the next level. Coming up on Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. I said to her, no, I'm not interested in this damn whatever dragon that it is because I've never seen it. I don't know what it is. I don't watch television. Um, it's not going to be one of these things where they're going to be asking me to be eating kangaroo testicles and things like that. And also, Mandela was my other current that come to me. That's how I saw it. And, and I teach kids now, I said, look for moments in your life that could be your game changer. All of this plus great music from Mick Owar and fantastic advice from our Game Changer Elite. This week's Elite are Majana Bosnovska and Innovation Consultant Sanj Surati. Every Friday should be a game-changing Friday. Hi, this is Ray Zin. Hi, I'm Jamie Martin from Ideal Shopping Direct. I'm Kate Bell, founder of Zip Us In. Hi, my name is Eirik Aide-Patterson. I'm a co-founder of Seaborg Technologies. Hi, I'm Katie Farrell, transformation coach, founder of The Catalyst for Life. Hey, everybody, I'm David Frangioni, CEO and co-founder of All Access IDA, Inspire and Develop Artists, and you're listening to Kizzy's Friday Game changer. Check it out. Hi everybody, it's Mirjana Bosnovska, leadership expert, coach and mentor to Australia's top CEOs and executives. So my role is to work with leaders and help them transition to a way of being where they lead from within. This is about compassionate leadership. It's about authenticity and transparency and how when we embody a way of being that's congruent with our highest values, we are greatly more impactful, not only in business, but in our personal lives. So the old paradigm of leadership, you know, the collective thinking, it's very long outdated. And it was based on a scarcity mindset, which is, I am not enough and there is not enough. So it's this competition and it's based on, you know, wearing this um, mask where we portray a certain way that isn't congruent with the truest essence of our being. And so it's very fear-based, therefore very limited. It's a limited perspective and there's a lot of hierarchy and dictatorship and control because essentially we uh, feel that we need to control the outcome rather than surrendering to the highest um, process and choices um, our way of thinking, which is, um, you know, expansive. But we feel that we need to be very controlled in that because we are so attached to the outcome. And, you know, this does not serve us in the end, nor does it serve our customers, our clients. It doesn't serve our stakeholders and it certainly doesn't serve our personal life or our family life. Conscious leadership is a new way of thinking and this model is already here. People are looking for a new way of thinking and being that embodies love, it embodies compassion, it embodies um, expansiveness and limitless potential. It's a divergent thinking mindset where we become curious and expansive and step into the unknown and embody a way of being that is collaborative and it's authentic. And this uh, is the truest essence of our being. You know, leadership is not just for CEOs and executives. It's for people like you and me. And it's a way of being that really reflects our authenticity. See, we're leaders of our own life. And for those of us that have children, how we model a way of being certainly influences our children and um, sets them up to a way of being where they feel very empowered to be leaders in their own life and how they build resilience and strength. Their love from within grows where they feel worthy to make choices, their own choices, rather than merely just following the status quo. 
I remember very early in my career actually being sat, da sat down by my direct report and she said, you know, Midiana, you're a fantastic worker, but if you really want to be a great leader, you have to show more strength and you have to dictate and you have to make people fear you. You have to tell them what to think, how to think, where to think, because they really want to um, you know, be like you and follow you and you need to uh, demand respect that this is how to be. And I remember I looked at my direct report back then and I said to her, I refuse to believe that. And I refuse to believe that then and I refuse to believe that now. I believe you can be a compassionate leader and a highly impactful leader. I believe you can lead with a grateful heart and have purpose and really make a difference in the world. You know, we need more compassionate leaders. The world needs leaders with purpose, unafraid to be authentic and declare, this is who I am, this is who I choose to be. How can who I am be of service in this world and make a greater contribution beyond my bottom line? So, Feel free to reach out to me. My website is miriana.co and feel free to email me at miriana at miriana.co for a personal consultation um, or your team, you know, uh, it, it, it's um, a way to really uh, take ownership of where you're at and in the first instance have a complimentary discussion of your business and your personal uh, circumstances. I look forward to hearing from you. Have an awesome day. You're listening to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers, the world's number one business podcast experience. Listen, learn and innovate. Welcome to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers with your host, Kizzy Nkwacha. The show for innovators and motivators, people just like you. Kizzy is the publisher of Business Game Changer magazine and the property investor, editor of the successful Women in Business book series and the best-selling Every Entrepreneur's Guide series. Every week, Kizzy and his guests provide you with the tools you need to take your game-changing business to the next level. Listen, learn and innovate. Now meet your host, your mentor and your fellow game changer, Kizzy Nkwacha. Hello and welcome to Kids' Friday Game Changers. Levi Roos was selling his homemade sauce at the Notting Hill Carnival when he was talent spotted for the Dragon's Den TV show back in 2007. After serenading the dragons with his guitar, he whetted their appetites for his sauce and secured a £50,000 investment from Peter Jones. The reggae reggae brand now has more than 50 products and Levi's Caribbean food and drink empire is now said to be worth around 35 million pounds. Fantastic. In just a few minutes, I'll be talking to Levi to uncover his secret recipe for success. I'm Kizzy and this is Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Listen, learn and innovate. Number one means you're always on top. You're on the number one. Welcome to the show. Uh, Levi Roots' story begins in a tiny, tiny village in Clarendon, Jamaica. As a young boy, Levi helped his grandmother in the kitchen. She taught him the secrets and subtleties of mixing Caribbean flavors, herbs and spices. Flash forward to 2020 and Levi is now regarded as one of the UK's most successful game-changing business leaders. But before we get into our conversation with Levi, I've had a note to remind me that Kizzy's Friday Game Changers is teaming up with Business Game Changer magazine to produce a groundbreaking end-of-year awards celebrating the most innovative and inspiring business game changers. Yep, I'm looking at you when I say that. The most innovative and inspiring business game changers. Now, the question is, should you or a client be included in our spotlight. The top 10 business game changers 2020 recognizes those extraordinary business people who've successfully introduced the game-changing business, product, process, or service. 
We're also highlighting dynamic individuals who've disrupted an industry, market or sector with their game-changing innovation. Now, for information about how to nominate yourself, a colleague or a client for inclusion in the top 10 business game changers 2020, email wearegamechangers at outlook.com. That address one more time is wearegamechangers at outlook.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Okay, that's it. Job done. Levi, it's amazing to have you join me. Respect, Kizzy. Thanks for having me on, man. It's a pleasure to have a chat with you. It's really good to have you here. Look, um, before we get into this conversation, I think I'd better do a quick disclaimer and admit that Levi and I have known each other for way too long already. Um, so I know his story as, as well as I know my own. But for the benefit of our listeners, I'm going to be pretending that I'm a listener and put, and put myself in the seat of a listener so I can find out more about Levi and what makes him tick. Levi, is that okay with you? I know it sounds a bit weird. Is that Will that work for you? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I've read much weird, weird stuff, but um, ask of me, but yeah, that's fine. Let's do that. Let's do it. Excellent. Okay, let's start at the beginning. Um, Like many of the Windrush generation, you grew up in Brixton, a time of political and social unrest. And I think you were even arrested back in the 1980s during a riot. Now, and you also found success as a, a reggae artist um, singing Happy Birthday, Mr. President to Nelson Mandela. But your music career was cut short by a very short, well, a short stint in prison. But you described this as being a high point of your life. Why was that? Well, I, I think everyone has to go. Well, if wherever you want to get to, you have to go through some kind of metamorphosis, a bit like a butterfly, isn't it? I mean, you know, it, it starts off looking a bit horrible as a, a sort of a caterpillar type thing that you wouldn't want to sort of touch. And then it morphs into this, you know, fantastic, beautiful thing. And I, I think just like anybody who lived in a, a similar time as I did in, in, in those times of the Sus Laws and the Brixton Riot and, and the other stuff with you, you know, you'll describe a bit later. You know, you have to metamorphosize if you want if you wanted to come out of there. And and I wanted to come out of that situation. I didn't think that I belong there. Um, my mother always told me that I deserve better than just being on the front line, um, trying to hustle a little here and a hustle a little there, and ended up at the the dole office every Thursday to sign on, a bit like a ritual. I thought I deserved that better than that, but you know, it's, 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 you have to go through the struggles to to come out at the other end. And not that I knew that; I know that now, um, and that's why now I go into schools and I teach kids, and I and they'll always ask me, "Do I look back on my life? Would I change anything?" And I'll always say, even though I regret a lot of the stuff that I did and and I went through as a, as a youth, and I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. But I wouldn't take it away in, in my metamorphosis and how I was shaped to be the Levi who I am, who I am today. Because your journey going forward is just as much as about where you're coming from. I understand it completely. I guess it's that idea that when tough things happen, when challenging things happen, you can either go through it or you can grow through it. It sounds like you decided that you were going to grow from it. Yeah, it's, it's that sink or swim th- thing, you know, um, even though I, I couldn't swim <laughs> at the time, but it, it is a, it is that struggle, you know, it's, it's that, um, it's that I've always said my favorite mantra is that Shakespeare, that um, Brutus's speech in, 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 in Julius Caesar, where he says, take the current when it serves or lose your ventures. Um, because a current, you know, is always a hard one if you want to get off your, your desert island where you've been stuck on. I think this is what Brutus was trying to portray, is that you have to take the current when it's at its worst. Uh, if it, the, the tide is small and ripply, it's not going to take you anywhere. You probably end up back where you started. But but you take the chance and take the current when it serves and, and you'll gain your your adventures. And and that was the same thing for me. You know, my, my current was terrible, <laughs> which was like, I just said, a long stint at Her Majesty's Pleasure, as we used to say back then. Um, that was my current and, and, and I took it head on. Um, and thankfully, I, I came up the other end and, and I, I, I gained so much adventures that I, I tell my son now, my, he's, he's seven years old, and I, I tell him about these adventures, which I've had so much um, to try and straighten his life out. Very wise words. And so let's just move forward then. So uh, just before 2007, um, you were selling your homemade sauce at Notting Hill Carnival, and then you were talent spotted 
for the Dragon's Den TV show back in 2007. Tell us what happened next. Yeah, well, the, the, the truth of the matter is I, I, I sort of fell foul of the, the music business once I, I came out from doing my sentence and um, got nominated for a mobile award for my album, um, Free Your Mind. And, you know, you know, riding on that wave of the, as I mentioned earlier, and everything was fantastic, touring the world, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the music sort of came crashing down for me, and for a lot of reggae artists as well too, as the the old Shabarangs and Bujubanton thing took hold in, in for reggae in those days, which was terrible for the for the genre. And and even though I didn't do that kind of music, all reggae music suffered in that time. And I find that I had to think of a plan B. And, and that's when I thought, okay, I'm going to merge the music and the food together and go on the road with that. And, and took it around. First, I started off with my locals, as you would do, amongst your own people. And people were saying to me, Lord of mercy, Levi, go away with your sauce. Why don't you go and still go and do your music? We love you for that. We remember you from Sir Coxon days and your sound system days. And we love you for that. But don't try and tell us any bloody sauce. And we want the original thing from Jamaica. You're a guy from Brixton. It was that kind of thing I was getting from my local. And um, and I worked out that maybe I need to take this elsewhere, and I, I I thought that let's take it into the shires, you know, into anywhere that adds shire at the end of the name of it. That's where we would go with me and my kids and a couple of friends of mine. So every month we would end up in the shires somewhere in this nice, beautiful, um, chilly festival with not a black face in sight, and in Carmarthenshire and in Yorkshire, North Yorkshire, and in Petersfield and all this lovely white type areas i would be there you know with my guitar with my ghetto blaster and a few friends and put put in a little caribbean in in those little areas and it was it was there that i got inspired you know it was in the shires as funny as how it was and facing some racism as i went along because there was sometimes we went out to a nice lovely chili festival in a nice leafy country yorkshire type of village and we were treated that quite well um but we always ended up with a few business cards, which is what it was about for me. And it wasn't until that eventually I, I, we, we still were doing the carnival in between that every August, every year. Um, I ended up at a place called the Royal Food Market, um, in the Excel Center. Um, uh, and, and I was doing the same thing. I had my guitar. I was singing the song. I was selling the sauce and the crowd. We had the crowd around us because as Caribbean people, we, we tend to emit this. Um, I don't know, it's a bit like how Usain Bolt is always, you know, he's about to run his 100 metres and he's there chatting up the girls and doing his sign and everything like that. We have this thing about us and, and I use that as a Jamaican person a lot um, to, to, to try to excel some sort of excitement into everyone when they are down. Our stall was always up wherever we went because of that spirit that we had. And our stall was up at the time and I, I, I remember at the end of it, a lady came over to me and said to me, Levi, you know, fantastic, you know, love the sauce, love the way the music that you're fitting with it. And then, and then she gave me a card and she said that she's from a program called Dragon's Den and she would like me to to, um, to be on it. And of course, I look back at her as a nice rastaman back then who didn't trust anything that Babylon, um, in, in inverted commas, covers would have thrown at you. I said to her, no, I'm not interested in this damn whatever dragon that it is because I've never seen it. I don't know what it is. I don't watch television. Um, it's not going to be one of these things where they're going to be asking me to be eating kangaroo testicles and things like that. Um, because you know, the only thing I could think of that I remember my kids used to talk about is I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. But I, I can't remember anybody ever mentioned dragons then to me back then. So I didn't know what it was. Um, but she ended up giving me a business card anyway, and I took the business card. And it's, it's when I got home with it, and my kids saw the business card. You know, they were jumping up and down, and you know, saying, "Dad, it's Dragon's Den, it's Dragon's Den," and I'm saying, "What the fuck is this Dragon's Den, guys?" <laughs> of which the kids explained to me and said to me, "Dad, you know, whatever you do, you know, there's this guy called Peter Jones and this guy called Duncan Valentine's, and they don't invest in shit. And if any black guys go up in front of them with any silly guitar talking about Reggie Reggie sauce, they're gonna tell you that they are bloody well out." 
So mm-hmm. for me, it was just hearing all this from everybody. In, in, the, in the three weeks that I had from that woman gave me a business card, for me accepting it and actually going to the BBC, I just had everybody telling me that, no, Levi, don't do it. Don't sing that song. You, you know, the dragons are going to absolutely have a field day with you. But I got inspired by that. You know, I just thought to myself, well, if they're all telling me not to go, not to do it, if I really believe in myself, then I should really go. And I thought that I thought this song was good. I thought that I believed in my own self. I believed in the sauce. I thought that this is not going to be about just the sauce. I'm going to sell me. And I was hoping that the, the dragons or whoever these guys were, you know, would get that. Because I didn't do any investigation on them or anything like that because I, I didn't want to get sort of scared before I got there. So I didn't know who the hell these guys were. I never heard of Peter Jones, never, until I was in front of him. It was the first time that I'd ever actually seen who this guy is. Like he was tall, he was six foot seven, and on the other end it was Duncan and blah, 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 and everything. So totally blind. All I had was just a spirit in my head. And before I went, my mom had said to me I should read Psalm 23. Um, she's, that's the only thing that a mother, a Jamaican mother, could really give you as strength, you know, is some kind of prayer um, for you to have something else other than the rubbish that you've got in your head. You know, she says, hold on to this. And and I was in the den there facing these guys, and in my head I was saying Psalm 23. As you know, it's the Lord my shepherd and I shall not want. Um, my mom said, if I said that, I will never be wanting again. And I left the dragons then that day. I don't think I've ever wanted for anything else since then. Um, and it was it was her prior, I believe, because I messed up with the song. I messed up with my numbers. I probably was the worst person that ever been on the bloody show. Everything went wrong for me, but for some reason, you know, along with the public, you know, the ten million or so that was watching, they loved what they saw, and um, the rest is history. So given how apprehensive you were initially and the fact that you didn't know anything about the Dragon's Den, the fact that you weren't crazy about your figures and numbers and, you know, you might have been a bit rattled when performing your song, would you have invested in yourself at that time if you'd been on the other end of the table? Well, now I think when everyone's eyes are open now, especially with the George Floyd situation and all that kind of stuff that now, we all see that there are opportunities for people like me from my background that if you take me out of it, my colour out of it, and you put someone else in that has a nice, lovely story and is doing something for the drag, it always works for white people. Why should it work for a black person? I felt that I could do it. I felt that if I went there and did something out of the ordinary by singing a song on a show that's never been entertained before, nobody had ever dared to come out of that comfort zone and doing it in any other way. I thought that was a beautiful story. You know, where I was coming from, that change and that metamorphosis that I went through while I was in prison and seeing most things through white eyes, because that's what you do, because all the books that you read and everything that you're taught and everything is through that. You see that that's possible because you talk about the tear jerkers and you see when somebody comes on and, and they tear jerk. And if it's a black person, nobody's thinking about tear jerk. Nobody's thinking about that moment when, you know, when he does something, when it just jerks everyone up, you know, but it does really happen to us as well. And that's what a lot of people don't see when they see me on there. But when you talk to Peter and you talk to Duncan, as I have all the time, you know, they said when they saw me coming up on the den, to them, it was a moment of just complete surprise, even though, you know, a few of them didn't invest. But they've told me it was only because of the money reasons why they didn't invest in it um, and because of the figures and that sort of stuff. But, you know, as for a person itself, when I came on, it was just a moment in television history. I mean, I saw it the other day, and even though it's me, but I know what that moment has done for especially for black people. Um, we'd always just had people that's just been famous in sports. You had to kick a ball or you had to run fast or you had to do things like that. But for that moment when I was on TV, it was one of the first time that even when I watched it back, and, and you know, I'm an old guy, so I, I look back for a long time for our people and see how we were shaped. I cannot remember somebody that being that famous on telly for doing anything other than either some entertainment thing or run fast. I was on there doing business. 
And for that, every year now, I get at least 10 people doing dissertations on Levi Roots life for their exams. And that's fucking amazing, you know? So to answer your question and that would that be in any other way, I just think that that appearance and the moment when it happened, 2007, the following year was the worst downturn that we've ever saw. If you remember, the country was in one of the worst that it's ever been. It was the time of the crash and, and everything, 2008. So it was leading up to that. And, and within that time of all that stress and everything going on in 2007, 2008, this brand, you know, still grew out of that, um, out of that quagmire. So, you know, for me, looking back at it, it is an amazing feat. feat. Um, even though it's me, I see it's done. But I, I think I was just an instrument. It, been doing it for, as I says, these hundreds of schools that I've visited since then. And still as a black raster man from Brixton, as I says, never change. The only thing we change is our clothes and our cologne. We never change anything else. And this is what I take into the school and I tell them the story. I don't hide I don't hide the fact that I've changed when I was at Her Majesty's Pleasure. As a matter of fact, I try to tell them that wherever you make your change, that's you. Unfortunately for me, because of the system and where I lived at the time, my change came about while I was in prison. I would recommend everybody to do it, but you need to take the current when it serves or lose your ventures. I'm wondering, during that time when you were at Her Majesty's Pleasure, could you possibly have imagined how your life was going to be transformed after 2007? Yes, I did, because I had a mentor in, in there. She was fantastic. She came in as a teacher within the prison, a drama teacher. And, and at the time, I had a band while I was in there. I was sort of performing still. While I was in there, a bit like um, some jailhouse rock, I was even doing gigs on, on the outside in other prisons and in women prisons and that. I really trusted because of the way that I, I sort of turned out. And um, she came into the prison and she, she looked at me and she says, you're not Keith, you know, because in, inside prison, you're always called by your real name and that's who you are. And she, she at our very first meeting, she came and she says, you're not Keith, you're Levi. Um, and for then, for two years, this woman, her name is Teresa, an Australian woman. She was classically trained actor and stage and, 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 and stage performer. Um, and she, she, she was my first mentor that, that sort of brought, you know, this new Levi Roots to not the person that went in. Um, I think she's responsible for the changes that, that I went through. And in some ways, she warned me. That is, you know, that if I was to follow the route of, of what she was saying to me, you know, things like the Shakespeare quote and, and all that kind of stuff, that the love of books and the love of reading and, 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 and that sort of stuff. She warned me that, you know, be careful what you pray for, because if you get it, you will have to be able to handle it. And even though it's been a burden at sometimes, but I remember she, she had said that to me, you know, if, if I follow the route, then you will have to you have to you have to handle the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or for us it, the slings and arrows of wherever you're from. Um, for me, it is outrageous because I've never had this kind of uh, of wealth or anything like that. Um, and with wealth also come those outrageous fortunes because we're in Dragons Day after Dragons Day when I thought everything was fantastic and. Fran and the crest of a wave and think that the sun shines on my arsehole and everything. All of a sudden, I'm sued for 30 million quid, you know, and I'm, I'm the most loathed person. I'm on the bloody news every day. I'm coming out of court, being sued by my one of my best friends. Um, and then it looked like, you know, this beautiful story that everybody was saying was so fantastic, especially for Caribbean people, was, was about to be um, completely annihilated through the courts. Um, but again, it's about who you are, you know, and, and who you believe in. And, and, and I believe in my own self and in, in my own will. And I managed to overcome and won the case and, and vindicated everything and, and came back. So, you know, as I says, take the current when it serves, man. And, you know, and, and those outrageous fortune, they will always come back to bite you. But, um, you know, I think if you're strong within it, you know, you will overcome whatever is thrown at you. I hear you. And I have a feeling that the Dragon's Den did, you know, it obviously made a huge difference to you to get you started. But I've got a feeling that even if you hadn't been on Dragon's Den, even if you hadn't have met Peter Jones, 
you would have still made it as a business person. You know, Kizzy, I see my life. I remember when I came out, I was round at my mom's just chilling out because I just thinking that I came with this idea of, you know, being strong from Teresa's teaching and blah, blah, blah. And I went to see her. And, you know, she was saying to me, she didn't have any money. My mom didn't have a lot of money as well, too. What can she do and all that? And I remember she said to me, oh, Mandela is, is, is um, appearing down Brixton. Um, and I was like, in our house, I'm th- again, I was saying, mom, you know, Mandela has inspired me, but let's talk about how you can, uh, you can do some help, do something. She says, no. She says, the man is down in Brixton. You go and see. You make sure you go and see him. And I left at my mom's house, which is just... 300 yards or so down from where Mandela was. Um, she's on Acre Lane, and Mandela was doing his speech with Prince Charles in, in the Brixton Rick, in the, in the center of Brixton. And, and as soon as I came out of the house and I went on to Acre Lane, and I, all of a sudden I just saw thousands of people just heading towards Brixton. You know, the queue was amazing. It's like I didn't even know where they came from because I remember going into my mom's house but I can't remember a crowd in the fucking street and I didn't even remember that it was Mandela days for Billy Brixton so I joined the crowd and I you know followed it all the way down to the wreck and I got near enough to him and near enough to the recreation center uh, and the security guard spotted me from in, from near the door of the security guard and he said hey let me by roots in and I let the crowd kind of push me through and I got there and this is now the change me coming now, you know, and I, I didn't know what this moment was. And I, I got inside of the recreation center, the security guard brought me up and he said, hey guys, you're looking for someone to say happy birthday to Mandela. Here is Levi. And, um, so they had a cake for Mandela. And as the great man, like he floated down the escalator from doing a talk upstairs in the wreck to some kids. And him and Prince Charles is coming down the escalator and he seems like he was floating on the air. And I'm at the bottom of the, the stairs, Kezi, in Quatra, with a bloody birthday cake. And as the greatest man on earth is coming down, I'm stood there with the cake singing, happy birthday, Mr. President. He came down, he shook my hand and I looked him in his face and I felt some kind of power through my hands. From the, I mean, this sounds like very film thing and it really was because this... This this man to me, I remember when I was inside, he got released. He got released a year because I got released in 1990, right? And I think it was the year before or something like that he, he got eventually released. It wasn't long before I came out. So I watched him came out and never did I ever believe that I would be in front of Nelson Mandela shaking his hand and singing happy birthday. I knew anything could happen to me after that. As long as I remained focused and I kept intact, with, with, with what, you know, with what Teresa had said, you know, take the current when it serves, when you lose your ventures, the tide of the affairs of man taking up the floods will lead to fortune. All the days of your lives could be deemed in shallows and in miseries on such a full sea are we now afloat and we must take the current when it serves or lose your ventures. Mandela was my other current that come to me. That's how I saw it. And, and I teach kids now, I said, look for a moment in your life that could be your game changer, could change your life. If you miss it, it's like missing your current. You're on your desert island and, and you get your chances. Sometimes we get monies and we think that we never be able to start our business. But when we look back, we realize that we've had chances before. Our current has come, but we did not recognize it. And I recognize that when I was there shaking Mandela's hand, that was a moment in my life. I went back to my mom afterwards and I said, look, I'm going to do this business here. No more music for me full-time as Levi Roos as a singer. I'm now going to do my grandmother's food. I'm going to, I'm going to use her recipes and I'm going, to, I'm going to use her method of cooking and I'm going to put that in a bottle and I'm going to, and I'm going to sell that. And that's how I, I started with the whole thing. Through inspiration, through Teresa, but the Mandela thing was a massive moment for me that I never thought that that would have happened. And I, I took it as a movement and inspired me to keep on doing what I did until eventual success. You know, there, there are certain moments in all of our lives. You know, I, I can't um, quote Shakespeare as well as you do, but I'm going to paraphrase what you've just said and just say, according to my mate Levi, grab it and growl. When opportunity presents itself, grab it and growl. Seize it with both hands. It, that's about sums it up, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the same way. 
Okay, well, I've, I've got a note here. Talk about being famous. I've got a note here. It's just been passed to me that somebody called Meg Leonard and Nick Moorcroft. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what, what's this about? They want oh to make a film. God. Let me tell you. If somebody tell anybody in their life that, you know, there's going to be a bloody movie made out about them, you will have to say, you jammy bastard, you lucky son of a gun. You know what happened? You know, for me, it's just amazing because I, I've told this story, you know, so much and, I'm, and I wanted to inspire people because I know there's so many people like myself who has been through stuff and is just thinking that nobody would give them a chance. You know, and, and I've, I've told the story, but... Meg and Nick has come along and been able to, to, you know, to say to me, Levi, we can get the story on a worldwide basis, you know, and for me, that's just been amazing. Uh, Levi Roots, the movie, has been a dream of mine, you know. Um, I started to write stuff down from even when I was in prison. So I, I had a lot of my, my, you know, my story written already. And, you know, and these guys have come along. Some of the, the best producers in the country, their films have been, you know, enjoyed by millions all over the, in the world. Um, and, you know, again, that's what inspired me that this is real as well, because I've had little offers before of people that hasn't really been serious. But, you know, when I when I spoke to to, to Meg and, and Nick, you know, and, and saw their portfolio and, you know, and really had time to spend with them before I even agreed with it. There was such welcoming guys. So they are the perfect, you know, partners for me to be able to get the story out there. And um, we're now working with a, a brilliant um, screenwriter called Roy Williams, um, um, one of the, the most famous, you know, black screenwriters there is, because I think it was important to get people on board that would be able to to help me to tell the story, not just from a, a mainstream point of view, but from a, a Caribbean point of view. And Roy is, is that because his stories resonate so much with mine. And I'm so pleased to be working with him in particular. Um, so for me, it's just going to be an amazing thing. One of my favorite movies of all time was the Jimmy Cliff movie, The Harder They Come. Not saying that this would be anything like that, but I, I remember sitting there one day when it was on, you know, um, and just thinking to myself, what a great way to tell Jamaican story. Um, it's true film. And and hopefully, you know, these guys can help me just tell this story of, you know, of, of my life um, through film. So it's, it's so exciting. I can't even tell you how, how much it is. But to have Roy Williams on board, you know, is the icing on the cake. And um, we're now together writing the story, getting the, the, the main background of the, of the script. And hopefully we'll start filming next year sometime. So amazing. Wow. I'm trying to imagine, I'm trying to imagine Denzel Washington. That would be fantastic, man. You know, um, for, you know, for me, it would be just good to see this story, as I said, which is resonated with people so much, you know, um, People always ask me about actors and stuff. You know, I, I'll leave that up to, to, to Nick and Meg as producers and, and that sort of stuff. But um, I'd be glad if they put me in it, a, a small little um, cameo role so I can play a bumbling fool in a Caribbean restaurant that never have anything on the menu and the old stereotype of what Caribbean restaurant used to be like. <laughs> That'd be funny. I tell you, we're, we're all looking forward to uh, seeing Levi Roots on the big screen. Um, but let's just hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break and come back to our conversation in just a few minutes. This week's incredibly talented entrepreneur, this week's boss star is Mick Owa of Universal Tradesman. Now, I'll let Mick introduce himself and a couple of his tracks. Over to you, Mick. Good morning, gang. This is Mick Owa from Universal Tradesman. I'm one of the three head directors of the company. Um, we started this company together over a year ago and have been growing since. We've got a pretty good web presence now and we're getting in a lot of new jobs. Um, on the side, I'm also a singer and have been a singer for about close to 20 years. So the first song on my list for you was the absolute first time in my life where I was completely in charge of the song being written um, and completely in charge of all the quality control, making sure everything was up to scratch. And um, also the first time in my life that I didn't use auto-tune. 
which was one of the challenges I set for myself. After 20 years of singing, you'd hope that you wouldn't need to use that anymore, but, uh, you know, it happens from time to time. Um, the second song is a follow-up to the, the first song, uh, Forever Reborn. It's, it's actually linked to that song uh, topic-wise, um, where there was a big shift in my life and I just decided I was going to make it into a song and it's all about moving on learning lessons and just growing from that so I hope you guys enjoy them uh, there's been a lot of hours invested in making some real great music at least great for my ears and um, yeah thanks for listening all the best I am Andrew Komonos, sales and performance strategist, and this is Kizzy's Friday Game Changers, the world's number one podcast experience. Staring into the eyes of an enigma, I see a brave new world that awaits us.
Hi, my name's Andy Cracknell, Digital Awareness Game Changer Strategist at the GC Index, and I've been a game changer for 14,600 days. That's why I listen to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Get in touch with Kizzy's Friday Game Changers by emailing FridayGameChangers at email.com and follow us on Twitter by searching for Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Stolly, founding partner of Wildcat Venture Partners. Hey, Tanja Lee here, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. I'm a leadership and mindset specialist for real estate and property professionals. Hi, I'm Jonathan from Amplify. Hi, I'm Johnny Cohn, CEO of Pay4UK. I'm Kenneth Hafiano, the founder of Jobwefa, an ethical fashion brand based in Ho, Volta Region, Ghana. My Friday is never the same without Kizzy's Friday Game Changers.
and I am the CEO and founder of an innovation agency based in London called Tiger Heart. So Tiger Heart is a group of innovation consultants who work predominantly within the luxury and fashion sector to help brands and businesses communicate their narratives using emerging and new technologies. Some of the technologies we work with are artificial intelligence, augmented reality, holographic technology and virtual reality. We work with businesses all over the world and we also work with some of the largest brands in the world including Burberry, Christian Louboutin and Universal Film. When it comes to advice, I think the first thing that you need to do is truly understand how you're communicating the value of your vision to the people that you're working with and also the businesses that you're presenting your ideas to. Sometimes the idea you have in your head is really hard to communicate, so it's always important to work with a good design team and a good creative team who can help you to communicate the vision that you have that you want to present to them. Usually when working with emerging technologies, a lot of the innovations that we deploy have never been done before. So it's really hard sometimes to get the brand that we're working with to truly understand what our final vision is. So work with your team to help self-communicate what that idea is. And ultimately what you're trying to do is communicate the value of what you have to offer to the businesses that you're working with. I also feel that you have to know how to be resilient within a very competitive space. Sometimes you're pitching to about 5,000 different businesses, all of which don't really understand what it is that you're trying to communicate to them. And sometimes they don't see the value in the vision that you have. And when they say no, that can be really, really demoralizing. You need to have a thick skin so that you can take criticism and move forward to the next business that you want to pitch to without taking any disheartenment with you to the next pitch. When presenting your idea, you really need to have a personality to help you to engage with the audience that you're presenting to. You want to connect with your audience before you start to push with your pitch. A lot of businesses feel that they have to communicate a lot of information within a presentation and sometimes that can make your audience fall asleep, which is a really, really awful thing for your brand because you want to convey all the good things about what it is that you do. But remember, people buy into people, so you have to engage with your audience. 
You have to show them that you are approachable, personable, and that you're human, you know? So try to inspire your audience. That's a really important thing. When you're trying to impress value in the people that you're trying to communicate with, try to inspire them. Be the thing that they want to buy into. And ultimately, they will buy into your vision. Lastly, the thing I think you need as a business professional to succeed within whatever it is that you want to thrive in is ensure that you have a good team around you and that you have a good sense of trust with all the people that you're working with. Trust is the thing that's going to help you and your team get through some of the most challenging, the most difficult things that you're going to experience on all of your projects. So value your team and really appreciate that circle of trust that you have with all those that you work with because those are the ones that are going to support you. So I just want to give a big shout out to all those that I've worked with over the last 20 years. It's been a fantastic journey. This new digital landscape is still in its infancy and there's so much more to occur that's going to affect the way that all of us move forward as human beings in this fantastic world. Welcome back. Before the break, you're listening to Mick Owa of Universal Tradesman. And I'm in the studio talking to game changer Levi Roots. Now, Levi, we're at a section of the show we call Past, Present and Future. Now, what this means is that I'm going to ask you three questions about your business past, your business present and your business future. And if we get these questions and answers right, we should have a unique insight into the mind of game changer Levi Roots. Will you submit to the program? Absolutely. Let's go with it. Excellent. Okay. Well, look, this is going to be such good fun. And um, I want you to imagine you can hear a clock ticking in the background. That's the sound of time passing by second after second. Imagine yourself traveling back in time to meet the young Levi Roots just starting out on his game-changing journey. What one thing would you tell Levi to make sure he does? And what one thing would you tell him to make sure he never does? Um, ooh, that's a hard one there, you see. Um, okay, I think I would tell him that he needs to study the 12 virtues. I think that would be the main thing because that will help him through life with, with whoever he meets and wherever he ends up. He will always be loved um, if he follows these virtues. You know, and, and we all know this virtue like patience and, and all that kind of stuff like that is, is just being able to, to, to know these in life. Um, yeah, I, I think that should be enough lessons because I think we, we, all, we all need to have rules that we have for ourselves. And, and I think that's what virtues are about. Is there anything that you would tell the young Levi to make sure he doesn't do? He doesn't step away from learning these rules. Um, they are the basis of what life is about. Um, they are how you treat other people. Virtues is all about yourself and who you are. Um, you know, yeah, if you, if you don't, it's detrimental. If you don't, you won't read. If you don't, you know, you won't, you won't know yourself. You know, so I just really think that it's really important. If, if you could have one superpower, Levi, if you could have any superpower in the entire world, what would you have? If love could be a superpower where you, I can just ping somebody and, you know, <laughs> it turns him away from, from thinking hatred or thinking racism or thinking anything and just completely turns his mind into, into loving in each other. Um, yeah, that, that would be it for me. It doesn't grant me any powers to be stronger or get any money or doing anything. It's just changing the other people's minds to... To, to loving themselves and loving everybody else. Wow, just listening to you talk, and of course I have heard you talk many, many, many times before over the years, but every time I listen to you talk, I always think you sound so spiritual. It's almost as though, you know, there's some kind of a spiritual element that's guiding you no matter where you are and what you're doing. Well, you know, I, I come from a Christian family, as my mom, my mom was, and, and that's that helped me within those sort of first struggles. But then, because as Christianity, my eyes wasn't open. It was a lot of things coming through my ears. 
But when when I grew up and I and I and I sort of in my teens, seventeen, eighteen, and Rastafari came into my life, then with along with the teachings that had given me this through my years and started me off. Rastafari now would open my eyes, you know, as I say, to racism and to that I'm not, I'm not Keith Graham, which is a Scottish name, which is what my, my father named me. Like most Caribbean people, you're given this mantle of, of who you're not, and you always have to try to fit who you are. Um, and Christianity was telling me to keep that because that Rastafari was telling me, no, look beyond that. You're not Keith. Keith is Scottish, you know, um, you are something else. And that's why when I used to look in the mirror at school and thinking, I don't look bloody Scottish. When I actually found out that 90% of Jamaicans have Scottish names. And the reason for that, because all the, 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 the slave um, farms were, were owned or ruled by Scottish people in the Caribbean and in Jamaican. And when slavery was abolished and they all fucked off, we all kept the same name and was walking around like Grahams and Browns and this and that sort of stuff and forgot who we are. Um, and when I was in school and I realized that I needed to change. So I found Levi Roots. I, I, I discovered my Rastafari and my eyes was open to who I was. And, um, and that's how I, I really put those two. Not forgetting, as I says, the, the Christianity teaching that my mom and my grandma taught because they were valuable because they are lessons still. But my eyes was now open because of what Rastas were saying. There wasn't hiding anything. They were saying that you don't have a white Jesus. Look beyond that. Look for somebody else. Um, and things like that, which was a massive thing to me when I was there. And I think now is what a lot of conscious people are actually opening up to themselves now. But as Rastas, that's where I was from. I was 17, 18, 19 going upwards. Sounds like you've come, you've come a hell of a long way since those days. Um, that's the past taken care of. Let's, let's move into the present, into the here and now. Levi, when things go wrong or when things don't go as well as you expected them to, how do you handle failure? What keeps you going? Is embrace it. Is embrace failure. I don't. I, I've always said that I don't see. I don't want to use that word as failure. I change that word now. I, I use. I call it feedback. You know, that's what I call failure, because you know every tribulations come back is is a learning. You know, it's like you're in school and you've learned from that mistake. You need to embrace it. It's like a Premier League footballer striker. You know, every time he gets the ball, as soon as he sees the goal, he's got to strike. You know, he, no matter what angle the ball is coming from, as long as the goal is there, he, he cannot have no fear because the minute he has fear in him, that's when he's going to miss the chances. So it doesn't matter if he miss a thousand times because it really doesn't mean when he does connect, it's going to go in the goal and can be the greatest goal ever. So I actually embrace failure as feedback because that's the only way that you learn and i guess the truth is that most successful people they fail or they get feedback more often than anybody else does anyway yeah well that, that's that's an entrepreneur great gamblers you know but it's not just any old gambler <laughs> you know they the entrepreneur is a calculated risker, you know. He doesn't bet on the horse because he just likes the name of it or anything like that, you know. He's going to love a look at the form, you know. He's going to look at the form, what they asked, what they asked did last year, who is the trainer, is the trainer a really good trainer, does he come from a yard, how is it? Like, he's going to check all that out before he actually makes his pitch to invest in in, in, in a company. Um, and, and so for him also... Making mistakes is a valuable thing because, you know, if you look at Peter's portfolio and how many times he's invested on Dragon's Den, it's quite a lot. But if you look at the, the key ones who are still there and, and the ones that really make, you know, a sense to him, you know, are just a few. I guess we're all in the same boat. If you, if you don't try, then you're never going to know whether you could have succeeded or not. And if things don't work out... It's feedback, and that will hopefully set you up for the next time you can try. Yes, that's it. That's the science. Okay, well, that's the past and the present. Let's go into the future. Let's go 10 years into the future. Now, when I look you up in 10 years' time, Levi, what will you be doing? I'll probably be living in the Shires somewhere. <laughs> I'll probably have a nice, lovely house in the Shires by then, because I still live in Brixton. I still live in the same flat that I've always lived in. 
I thought that was really important for me to stay grounded. I, I didn't want for these kids who I keep going back to schools and when they ask me, where do you live, Levi? I said, it's a nice, lovely uh, house somewhere in North London where we're all people that makes world seems to go and live. I love to tell them that I still live in Brixton. I love that the kids in my, where I live here, they all know me. They all ask me questions. They see my car and they, they shout, they, they leave I and blah, blah, blah. And they come up to me and do this and that. that that's the power. You know, the, the power is not how much money you have or of what you've got. If, if that can't happen to you, you know, you know, my, I choose Duncan Bannetyre because he didn't bloody exam <laughs> invested my sauce. And he's Scottish as well. I'm sure that if he was to walk down the road or something, no whooper kids now are running down and telling him, no matter how much what he's done in it, because his persona, you know, is not that. If I walk down the bloody street, you know, it's like that, you know, and, and I get it, you know, because that's how I am naturally. It's not a put on. Um, you can't buy that. Um, that comes naturally. Uh, I don't think that's ever going to change anytime soon. I've got so many questions I want to ask you, but I've got a light flashing on my screen that says we ran out of time ages ago. Before we go, um, Levi, is there anybody um, listening to this uh, conversation that you'd like to say hello to? Anybody you want to give a shout out to? Well, you know, the, 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 everyone, you know, who's ever tried my products, you know, and everyone who's ever think that I'd love to try it, you know, because that, that that's where it is. Um, you know, without that sauce, I, I, I don't think I would be able to be saying all these wonderful things that's happened in, in my story. So i got to big up all those who who's brought it, who, who, all those who perhaps didn't like Caribbean food but took the chance and brought it and actually thought, hey, you know, it's not too bad after all. Um, those are the people that I wanted to say hi and respect to. Um, as long as you've engaged with um, with my products, um, then yeah, we're brothers and sisters. Well, I can tell you um, that your inspiration has changed the lives of many, many business people all over the country, all over the world, who've heard about your trials, your tribulations, and they've celebrated with your successes, just as I have. Um, Levi, it's been an amazing experience getting to spend some time with you on Kids' Friday Game Changers. Thank you so much for sharing your insight and your wisdom. Big respect. This is Levi Roots live and direct and Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Big respect. Well, the time I've spent with Levi Roots is a powerful reminder that many of life's failures are people who didn't realize how close they were to success when they gave up. And the truth is that success seems to be largely a matter of hanging on, just like Levi, hanging on when other people have let go. This is the lesson that game changers at Levi Roots are teaching us every day. Listen, learn, and innovate. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>